Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with Jen Larson, who's the author of Hit Girls, Women of Punk in the USA, 1975 to 1983. Jen, thanks for being here with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Could you start out um, by telling us a little bit about the book, how you got started writing it, how this sort of came to be and why you wanted to write about this time, this early period in punk. Yeah. Um, well, you know, to be perfectly honest, it, it came about, uh, at a time in my life after my band had broken up and I was really sad and I was bored and, um, I was just spending a lot of time like by myself in my room, you know, listening to music. And I had been doing a lot of surfing on YouTube and I had actually started probably like five or six different blogs on just various things um, to keep myself entertained um, and to, you know, just keep myself alive. Um, And uh, one of the blogs that I started was, I called it Punk at Respect, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, um, you know, sharing videos on YouTube that I found of women in in bands in the 70s and 80s because I had always been told that, you know, women were anomalies at this time and there weren't too many. And I started, when I was on YouTube, I just kept finding more and more and more and I started keeping lists and I was like, wow, this topic is so rich. There's so much information here. Um, I could blog about this forever. And I was really enjoying writing the blog. And a friend of mine um, tagged me in a post on uh, Facebook, of all places, um, where Christina Ward from Feral House was looking for women to write histories of music. And um, I pitched the idea of a book to her. I, sh- I shared my blog with her. You know, she gave me some feedback. We worked together on like how what a book could look like. I've never written a book before. So um, that's that's where it started. So I have to say, because it's out of Feral House, I Feral House has does a great job of mixing sort of <clears throat> text and image. So this book is not only a book about, and we can get it, we'll get into more detail about everything, but it's not only like a book about the bands. It's also like full of ephemera and full of, um, I really want to see your record collection. Cause I'm very <laughs> jealous of your record collection, like record, right? Like, so yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like the, just the aesthetics of the book as well? Yeah, it's interesting because um, now I'm remembering that when I pitched the book, actually, one of the things that Christina asked was, can you get pictures of these artists? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. You know, so that was sort of like this task that she gave me. And that was something that I, I that was part of the learning process for me, like how to to make sure that I had, you know, good images, how to ask artists for images, like how to organize all that stuff. Um, and the including the records i think ended up being a really great idea um part of it was out of necessity if i couldn't get um a picture of artists i could um use the record cover or the back um 
And, you know, a lot of these records are actually my my friend Jen Lamasters. I don't know if you noticed because we're mm-hmm. both Jen L. But a lot of these are her records. And she has an outstanding collection. Her her collection is mind-blowing. Um, she and her husband own Bric-a-Brac Records. Um, their house is just full of ephemera. I've never seen anything like it. Um, but, <clears throat> yeah, so we were kind of using the records as, like, you know, in case we couldn't find, you know, photos of the band or get permission to use some of the photos. But I think that it ended up being a really, really cool thing that we included. And sometimes you get to see the band on the cover. Sometimes it's just like artwork, either the band members made or friends of theirs made. And um, I think it ended up being like a really cool, uh, you know, piece of the puzzle. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's a great collection and kind of like time capsule of like, really just a little of what's out there right and that was what we often forget what what could get lost and so yes yeah so can you talk a little bit too then um, about how you structured this right you kind of structured it to look at locations and areas so could you talk about sort of the structure of the book yeah so um That was, um, you're taking me back kind of to thinking about the process of, you know, how the book got started, how these conversations looked at the beginning. And there was this point when I wasn't sure what the structure would be. And it ended up being structured regionally. Um, Part of that was just because I was organizing the band, I was organizing my lists that way because it just became a natural way to to organize things. Um, I really ended up liking that structure partly because some of the scenes were more um, integrated. Um, some of the scenes, like the the members were in multiple bands or they interacted with each other or they did shows together. And it was really cool to see how some of those bands, um, you know, work, work together um, or collaborated on a scene. Like they were more integrated. Some of the scenes, however, like I think more, some of the Midwest scenes, not as much Milwaukee, but like Detroit, for example, or Chicago, some of the bands didn't even really know each other in in those scenes. And so it was really interesting to see the difference between how different um, bands in different cities interacted with each other. Um, I think a lot of the New York bands really were, you know, working together. They were intermingled. Um, There were like little scenes that were kind of crossing over little Venn diagrams of bands in different, uh, you know, you have your new wave band or sorry, no wave bands. And you have, you know, your kind of like um, mud club crew and like all those different people and they kind of knew each other. And that was really cool. Um, Yeah. So sorry. Ran a little bit. No. Yeah. Because it's, it's was super, I thought the same thing. I was like, this is really cool because you also see that in some of these places there was like, so you mentioned New York, right? They have Max's Kansas city. They have CBGB's. They have these places to play and other spaces. Like it's like, well, you know, we're going to go try and like play at this bar, this church or, you know, the cornfield or whatever it might be. Right. So it was really interesting too, to see where they were even able to find a place to whether to play or whether they could tour or not tour and those kinds of things too and how that played out regionally yeah definitely so let's talk about like um these sort of how you structured it and some of these scenes and stuff so you start with um and you you also do in every section kind of talk about the bands 
in order of when they started. So, mm-hmm. right. So it's not like they're in alphabetical order or anything. They're in chronological order with who started in the early, like, you know, who started in the mid seventies and then how do we move into like the early eighties? So you've set that up too. Mm-hmm. To give us a feel. So you start with the Midwest. So could you talk a little bit about um, whether it's some of the bands that you came across in the Midwest or, you know, we there's how many I should ask you this first. How many bands do you know how many bands are in the book or roughly around how many? I think- I think it's a weird number. I think it ended up being 89. Okay. Like, so we're not, yeah, we do not need to talk about 89 bands. People can like, I mean, I probably could talk about all 89 bands. I will say another thing that I loved. um, And maybe you could talk about this is you don't like some of these bands are, are known by people. Right. But some of them are really, I was like, Oh, I got to find this. Like, I got to listen to this. Right. Like, so there's a whole, like a whole new, like introduction to some of these really more obscure or bands that might've put out um, a seven inch or might be recorded like 20 or 30 years later, or maybe you can find the video on YouTube, but that's. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a few bands that um, I, I think the only uh, music I have by them are like MP3s they sent me. So they're not even available to, you know, to the public at all. Maybe they will be, maybe um, a, a, you know, record label will want to like do an arch- archival of their music, which would be really cool. But yeah, that was intentional. Um, you know, I didn't include Patti Smith. I didn't include the Go-Go's. Um, I didn't include, I didn't even include X or the Cramps. Um, and that, that was intentional. Um, I mean, there's a lot that's been written on them in the punk world. Um, I'm not opposed to writing about them if there are, you know, other volumes, but I really wanted to kind of, you know, go below the surface. And I feel like that was, that was, that was part of the point of the book. Um, I think some of the more famous bands are, um, the Avengers, uh, the bags, uh, teenage Jesus and the jerks, which maybe people don't know that band, but they might know Lydia lunch. Um, so there are bands that like more people would know. And then people who are like really into punk are going to know even more of them. But then I wanted there to be a lot of surprises. Um, and believe it or not, I have a spreadsheet of hundreds of bands in this era with women that are not even included in the book. So there it's, there's just so, and that's just in the U S like I started out, I started out with this idea. This was going to be this book about like the global revolution, like all these parallel, um, you know, like scenes that were happening all over the world. And I had like, Christine was like, you got to narrow this to something. (laughs) And (laughs) so it ended up being, you know, narrowing it down to the U S and which meant I had to leave out some of my favorite bands, but then I found new favorite bands. Yes. Well, you know what? I love it though, because it is, and like you mentioned, like Patty Smith, you mentioned like the, the Go-Go's, like they appear in the book. Right. And right. so I love that too. Like, it's like, yes. Um, but some of these women reference how, like, especially the importance of Patty Smith, like how Patty Smith just basically was like, Patty Smith did it. We can do it. Like, you know, the ways in which, you know, some of these other women who came before then even, um, were there and sort of represented. So, you know, so they're there on the, on the margins, which is really great too. Yeah. there. They're like the, they're influential, uh, like throughout the book, like so many, I mean, so many women, Matt, uh, mentioned Patty Smith. 
you know, and, um, you know, even with the Go-Go's, it's like they were friends with Backstage Pass and they were friends with, you know, Alice Bag and the, and the crew and, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's awesome. And, and like, and you kind of hear too, I appreciated like some of those women were like, we didn't want to beat right. Like, so the Go-Go's did what they wanted to right? The Go-Go's did their thing, but some of the women were very intentional saying that wasn't what we wanted. Right. And so um, we chose to go this direction or we chose yeah. not to move in that direction. Yeah. So it's neat to see how the choices people, you know, why mm-hmm. the intentionality of some of these bands and those choices. Yeah. And in some cases that meant that they would become more obscure. Mm -hmm. You know, so and then, you know, I always think about like, what about the bands of, you know, like the bands that didn't record? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like these are these are bands that like recorded and had pictures taken. Like there had to be even more bands that just like didn't even have access to recording um, or have photos that survived, you know. Um, So it's it's really interesting to just think about that. Um, It makes me like sad. (laughs) Um. well and you know you like you chalk circles in here and for people who i think chalk circle is one of those bands that if you're into punk you you know know chalk circle but like i think like i thought that was one of the things that was really sad they were like we didn't know how to tour we didn't know how to get out there right and that yes like nothing they did was ever put down like recorded or put out there you know and some of that because people are like yeah we're we decided we don't like your music right we're not gonna or we're not going to go with you. And so, yeah, you see that in there. Yeah. That plays yeah, out. Sure. And, you know, I think a lot of that, I think a lot of the purpose of writing it too, was to like, not feel sad and to like, be able to like celebrate what, you know, what I could help salvage or like, re- uh, help history remember, I guess I'm putting remember in quotations because there's this sort of phenomenon of women, especially just kind of disappearing, you know, in history. So just, you know, I wanted to bring like a joy, like a joy to that. Yes, it was joyful for me. Um, so like, so let's talk about, so you start with the Midwest. And so can you talk about um, maybe, you know, if there's a band that you want to talk about from the Midwest that you thought were really important or, you know, a couple of those scenes, um, you talk a lot about sort of Michigan and Chicago land area and that kind of thing. So so yeah. let's start with the Midwest. Yeah. It's so hard. Like they're all my favorites for so many reasons. So um, I started with the Midwest because I'm biased. Um, I'm from Michigan and I live in Chicago. Um, but also I think the Midwest is like an important sort of hub of music, you know, Motown and just punk, proto-punk. Um, so I, you know, I think that, I think a lot of really cool stuff starts in the Midwest and the Midwest just definitely does not get enough attention. Um, in terms of the output, you know, I mean, we have Devo that comes from the Midwest and we just like forget that. Um, but the Midwest is just really cool. And, uh, I really wanted to highlight, you know, the region. So that's, that's why I started with it. Um, I started with destroy all monsters. I don't know which band to talk about because they're all so, (laughs) 
<laughs> they're all they're all great in so many ways. And they're really diverse too. And this is, you know, this is one of the areas where a lot of the bands didn't necessarily know each other. And so I think it is really interesting um, because it, it's almost hard to place them. Like if you heard it, like there's a band called Shy Pig who actually has collaborated with, Mark, had collaborated with Mark Mothersbaugh at one point. Um, and they just have this very like weird angular sound that like, if you heard it, you might think they were like from like no wave New York stuff and um you wouldn't necessarily place them as like an ohio band um you know but they're weird in a similar way that the waitresses are like kind of weird um but then you kind of got your like heavier rock stuff like there's a band from chicago called bitch but then you have uh algebra suicide who's like a poet who's doing music over like electronic music and then you have nikki and the corvettes who's just doing this like you know um really super bubbly power pop and then you have Amadots who are like doing, you know, goth industrial stuff. So it's just, there's, it just, it's all over. It's all over the place. And I just think the Midwest, I've always felt like the Midwest is, is like a, a microcosm. Like it has like everything in it, you know? So. Yes. Yes. And I, and I had said this to you before, but being from the Midwest as well, I am very much just partial to the Midwest and very partial to like Minnesota music. So, um, there was no Minnesota music in here, <laughs> which is fine. They can well, always come next, right? I want to share with you. Um, that doesn't mean they didn't exist. There no, was- I know. Well, Tet Noir is not in like, so like, yes. Yeah, so there are some bands that, and some happened a little later than your time period that yeah. were more. Mm-hmm. I, I'm also open to adding to my list because this list is just is is incredible. There was a band I really wanted to include from Minneapolis called Wilma and the Wilbers. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't find a whole lot of information on them. And I reached out to people. Part of the thing is that like their band members didn't have real names listed on the record. Like their bass player was like 198218 or like a you know a series of numbers and like just weird stuff like that where it's just like I couldn't get a hold of them like I just couldn't find them um if if you're listening um <laughs> well yeah like that's part of it right like because some of these bands they were using um different names they were changing things around they were you know it was there wasn't this idea that in you know for 50 years someone's gonna want to know what we were doing yeah. Right. They were just being silly, but their songs are so good. I like, they were, they were like always on my list. And it was just one of those bands that like, they're like by the end, like I wanted to do a hundred. I was like, that was the plan. I was like, I was going to do a hundred bands for this. And by the end, there were just bands that kind of got, you know, they got pushed off to the side because I just didn't have enough information. I needed to really focus on um, what I had already written and what I had a lot of information on. And they were just one of those bands who like, are still in the original document and like I have as much information as I have but it's like two sentences right you know <laughs> they're there they're somewhere but that's the thing and that's like I mean I would think that part of your hope is that as people read this and you talk about it and they hear about it that you will get those like there's this band you might want to look into and hopefully um, get some of that information on it. Right. Like, and yes, I think the Midwest has really great bands that come out and um, we have clubs that sometimes people don't want to. And and that was another thing. Like there's a club in Chicago. You talk about that burned down. Um, 
but like it also is keeping a memory of some of these clubs and spaces alive too that yeah, get lost that's very true it is yeah because a lot of you know and especially if a lot of people are talking about that that space like it it became real to me you know when I was <laughs> like talking to them so oh. so you do the Midwest and then um you move to the south right and the the pylons and different um bands from the south so can you talk a little bit about like if there's anything you saw or anything you know when you talk about like the bands from the south or sort of the scene in the south yeah and these bands in the south are really spread out too i feel like the midwest and the south are some of the most spread the spread out regions that i'm you know writing about um because the south like the Midwest, it was like, it could be Michigan and it could be Ohio. It could be Chicago, you know, it could be Chicago. It could be, uh, St. Louis in the South. It's like, it could be Florida or it could be Tennessee or it could be Texas. So it's like, they're not, they're not necessarily like work, you know, bands that are going to know each other or like are really of the same area. It's, it was just a way to categorize, um, so yeah, it's really interesting. So like there were, it was like the, there were a couple bands from Miami and then I feel like the Austin scene was um, pretty cohesive. Um, I feel like that was probably one of the more cohesive areas. There were a lot of different bands from there. Um, you know, not necessarily bands for, with, with women in them either that I wrote about, but they just had a scene. Um, so yeah, I thought Austin was pretty interesting. Um, you know, you have uh, the F systems and there's a band called the foams, which was one of the bands that I think I might be one of the first people to write about. It was because I got a hold of um, the singer and I was able to talk to her and get their history. Um, they're really interesting. Um, there's not, you know, they don't really have a whole lot of music. They're just, they were like a band that was, they were kind of like, like an art, like collective, you know, that kind of thing, which is what, how Pylon started also. You know, mm -hmm. I can jump to Athens, Georgia, which is where the B-52s are from, where R.E.M.'s from. Um, that's where Pylon is from. They were just like art students, you know, and so there were just like a lot of different, yeah, there were just like a lot of different reasons why people were making music. Um, the Screaming Sneakers and um, the Chichalids, they were from Miami and they were kind of just, they just wanted to like, be rock stars, you know? So there's just kind of these, all these different reasons why people were making music. Right. And you see that kind of, like you mentioned, like the art school and that kind of thing, like throughout, I think like in most of these regions, like there is a band that, you know, there, there's one band, you know, who is like, well, we just did this as an experiment or yeah, we decided we could play instruments and we did. And like the, that kind of great, like, yes, that's exactly how it should be. We decided we just try it and see what happens. And we did it. Yeah. Sure. Which is the best ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. I mean, I think that that's why I love a lot of punk music too, is because there's like visual artists, right? Like a lot of visual artists just started making music and they, sometimes the visual artists just make the most interesting music. I mean, that's what a lot of no wave is. I mean, I would say F systems was like that. They were like the, one of the guys in the, the guy in the band that like wrote a lot of the songs, he played bass and he was like a videographer. He made like horror movies and stuff. And the singer was a poet. So it's like, they just kind of like, I mean, she, that's not a visual art, but it sort of is. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like a, you know, you know, uh, poetry is, you know, all, all about imagery. Right. So, um, yeah, I think in Pylon, they were visual artists. So I just, I think that that like approach is so interesting and 
the music doesn't come out in like a, an expected way. Um, and I, yeah. Mm, yeah, no, I think it's like, it's really great. Another thing, like when I was, it w- was interesting too, um, or I thought was important is that um, throughout we saw the diversity in, so, you know, we're looking at women, but also like sort of racial and ethnic diversity in these bands and, and the women who sort of came to the scene and and what they found there. And also um, looking at like, so some of these artists were um, sort of gender fluid, different gender identities. So I thought that that was really important to sort of show that those moments and those spaces as well within the early punk movement. Yeah, absolutely. There's there are a lot of artists that identify as, you know, being queer or at the time as lesbians or, you know, just different terminology for for queerness, um, which which is really cool. I mean, I think punk in general was more open to it than, you know, some other genres of music or subcultures have been Um, even this um, time period of punk versus like later punk, um, which, you know, at, at some points, you know, there were scene punk scenes that were super homophobic or just super not welcoming to women or just not super diverse um but i think that this time period was like this you know alice bag talks about that a lot just like this time period was just very welcoming and open and fluid and people were able to express themselves in ways that she didn't find that she was able to before or after you know in certain you know in certain spaces yes and i i've I've talked to, I lived in Philadelphia for a while and, you know, I talked to women in the scene in Philadelphia during this time who would say the same, right? Like this just sort of reiterated that meant like that kind of like, we were all accepted. We were all a part of this. Like I mentioned to you, um, you know, like Nancy Borelli talks a kind of about that, like this, it was a very different space and it was very opening. So you can kind of that, that message comes throughout, right? There's misogyny, there's ways in which these women had to sort of struggle, but feeling that they could find a space, at least with their bandmates, right? Or their friends like that, that was very different than once hardcore comes along and really pushes women out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then, so you also, so you do this sort of Midwest, the South, and then you kind of um, look at the sort of Northwest. So we go down sort of like the Northwest and then the West Coast, the North and the South of the West Coast kind of thing. Um, So can you talk a little bit about the Northwest and um, sort of what was going on in the Northwest, which is often looked at as the sort of grunge and riot girl space, right? Uh, But even before that, um, we have some really cool things coming out of the Northwest. Yeah. Um, you know, the Dish Rags is actually the only non-US band I included, but I included them because they did end up playing in the US. And I just, there were there were some Canadian bands that I, I, I considered doing a whole Canadian chapter. That's, you know, that's, that's a whole thing too. Um, but like, yeah, in the Northwest, I think that one of the most interesting sort of um, interactions is the the neo boys and the brass smears and the brass smears are another band that like people probably didn't know about and i just happened to talk to uh mitch bondage and she was like i was in an all-girl band before i was in sado nation and i was like oh really okay um let's talk about that and so i ended up getting to talk to all the members and there's a interview that was (laughs) 
I had the wildest like sort of um, like chat going on with the girls at one point where it was just like wild. I was basically just watching them interact with each other. They hadn't like been in a group chat forever, but they, the interactions with them and the Neo boys felt very much felt like it was laying the groundwork for riot girl. Um, there's a in the liner notes there's um like a, a piece written by Susie cream cheese of the brass mirrors where she like first sees um the neo boys and she's like who are they i want to be their friend you know and um yeah and then after that she you know formed an all-girl band and they were buddies and you know there were guys that were dicks in the scene but they just kind of because they had each other they could kind of like you know just have fun with it they kind of like, I feel like that was kind of like their response, like when guys are being misogynistic, because they were, I think there was a really funny line where one of the members of the band was just like, yeah, we just got louder and weirder. Like the more that guys were like rude to us, we would just be weird and gross, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> no, it's awesome. And I don't, it was, I think it was one of the West Coast, I don't know, North or South, don't remember the band, but I will just put out there that, um, often I want to punch Henry Rollins in the face (laughs) and um, some, I don't even remember who it was talks about like some really like misogynistic thing that he said. And I was like, Oh good. It's not just me. (laughs) Right. Like, and and then they were like, and then I went home and I broke all my black flag records and I was done. Right. (laughs) It was was Jane Weems. And I, you know, the funny thing is I think there's actually a couple of, women in the book who mentioned something about Henry Rollins that's similar. (laughs) So I wasn't sure which one you're talking about at first, but I'm pretty sure (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're talking about Jane Weems, who's a drummer. Um, And, you know, yeah, that for sure. (laughs) You know, and here's the thing is like um, growing up, like I was, you know, I, I learned a lot about punk music or whatever. I learned what it was on like VH, VH1. And, you know, it was, like, it was always like Henry Rollins was like the spokesperson for like all of punk music or something. And, you know, like th- that's always how it's felt. And it's just like, I really like that other people and especially women are, are able to like have that same, are beginning to at least have that same space to be spokespeople for punk. And it's not just like, this sort of homogenous, like very male perspective on what punk was. Yes. Yes. No, I, I will say too, that you have um, Alice Beggs, you have an essay by Alice Beggs in here who I, I mean, I could listen to Alice Beggs talk all day, every day about everything. Like, right. Like, yes. Like more, more Alice, like more of that. Like there's yeah. some women that, um, you know, like, I'm like, that's what I will get, you know, all of that. We need more of that. And we need to hear more of that history and have that out there. Um, and sort of turn off some of the men who like to be in every, yes, to yeah. be in every single oral history. And she ever. likes to talk too. So, I mean, I think that it's not putting anything on her that she doesn't want to do. Like she like, you know, I mean, I think there, there's some artists who are a little more shy and like, you know, like Penelope Houston. I, I, I mean, I was able to talk to her, but I think that when, you know, she gets interviewed and, you know, I, was she... She was, she was in a documentary. I can't remember which one it was, but it was like, she was definitely one of the only women in it and she didn't say much. And part of it was maybe they edited it that way, but maybe some of it was that she just, she's just a little bit more reserved, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, you know, that's the thing, but like Alice, like 
Alice like loves to, she's, you know, she loves to like talk to groups of people and she's just like really comfortable on stage and talking to larger audiences. So it's like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. No. And so you've got this, like you split up sort of California area with thinking about sort of what is in sort of the Southern California. And so you do talk about like the bags, um, but other kind of um, bands that come out of Southern California. I don't know if you want to, in uh, sort of the sort of South uh, West coast South. I don't know if there's any other ones that you want to like highlight or mention out of that space. Yeah, I think one of the I think one of the ones I'm uh, most proud of um, writing about is Backstage Pass um, because they were one of the first bands with them. I mean, they're they're the first one in the um, the section or the chapter, I guess. Um, they formed before the Go Go's. Um, they were, they, they formed after the runaways, but like, you know, Jenny body, who was a guitarist in the band had like tried out for the runaways and she was kind of dismissed by, you know, what's his face. And, um, you know, <laughs> they, they had this whole plan of like, we want to make a band that's not, it's like girls, but it's like, not like the runaways. It's not like super sexualized. It's not being like, you know, Sven gollied and, um, you know, we want to do our own thing. And that, that was, that was the purpose of it. And so they formed a band and, you know, I think that the band members are all pretty aware that the band never really got a lot of notoriety, but what they did do is they opened a lot of doors for other women to play. Um, the keyboardist in the band is like, she, you know, helped with the bill for, you know, signing the lease or whatever for the mask, which is like a really important venue in LA. And like, they just opened a lot of doors for, other women and they were really good friends with like a lot a lot of people in the scene and i'm i'm really really proud of that section because i feel like they haven't gotten a whole lot of attention um yeah i mean i i'm you know i love all the bands that are in the it's so hard it's like <laughs> no it is right like and i get really like and then like thinking of um sort of and i like that you've thought about sort of the north part of sort of west coast north and you bring up romeo void who i really love um but it might be one of those bands that is a little more popular um but like also like i really did love the band like then another thing that made me happy ecstatic throughout this whole book is the names the band names right right like the blow dryers like i'm sorry but i'm like these are the best names like you know it's just like i love it and then talking about sort of how they came to the names and i think it was in the east coast but there was a band who used to be rem right but they Right. <laughs> yes, but had to fight with the real art with the with the, what we know as REM to decide, right? But the whole like thinking of band names, and I think there was one that was um Girls on Drugs, and she was kind of like, and I don't I think that was just like a side band, but she was kind of like, We know how that worked out. We were girls on drugs, right? Kind of thing. So I'm like, these name these names are like I, I don't know which kind of location has the best names but they are all amazing. <laughs> yeah. And there's some that are just like unspeakable. Um, you know, <laughs> there were bands that like weren't allowed to have their names on marquees because, you know, the clits or bitch, like they just were like, all right, we're just going to be called that. And like, they were told not to use that name. <laughs> 
but it's still and and you also like I like that like when you talk the east so you so you do the west coast north and then you do a lot of bands in the east coast and um I like that you know you bring up a Jane country so looking at also um looking at transgender folks in and, and really early on in sort of punk and also in sort of the movement and talk about like the importance of like you mentioned sort of the trailblazers um but trailblazers and all these other spaces too with these women and these performers yeah and you know jane is not only like one of the first punk musicians to exist but like is also a transgender woman so you know, I think that, yeah, I think that it's, it's interesting and um, it's really cool. Yeah. And so, and I will say, like you mentioned, I love Wendy O. Williams and what she did. And like, so I appreciate that too. Like we get these snippets of like, just reminding people of the ways in which the, the, these women and these performers were kind of just pushing at pushing at the boundaries and and kind of doing things their own way yeah and do what they wanted to do yeah like yeah some women were more you know outrageous and aggressive like wendy o williams who was like chainsawing tvs in half and like blowing up cars and doing you know sexual things on stage and then you just have women who were like just kind of like quiet like poetic artists, you know, you have women just doing whatever the fuck they want. And I think that that I'm sorry, I'm allowed to swear. No, go right ahead. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think that that's, that's sort of the point is that like, women didn't have to follow the guidelines of being a certain type of woman, like they were able to just be like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like you have Sue Tissue from the suburban lawns, who's just bizarre, right? Um, and like, incredible, like, when when you see videos of her um singing you're it, she's not doing something you expect a woman who's fronting a band to be doing um you might not expect it even listening to the songs and then seeing her perform you're like surprised um so i think that it's really cool well <laughs> and they're also really cool like a thousand times <laughs> but they are but you how can you not and i Susan, i'll say you had one band then um was all living in a house with two not one but two drummers um <laughs> like what you know like like my my youngest my daughter would love the whole like a band full of women percussionists right like and it was you know that kind of like it was going to be a performance piece we were doing this like we talked about before but that that it's just like nobody told us we couldn't do it we might yeah. as well, we're gonna do it and that's what i also love about kind of what you present with what was going on during you know in that early time period like yep yeah, we're gonna try it if it works it does and if it doesn't that's okay yeah yeah, it was a time for people to just be really creative and just have a lot of fun with with their art and not, you know, not feel like they had this like path that they had to be on because they were well, they were a woman or just like they were a person, I guess. I don't know. Um, and, you know, in a way, like there's this thing where it's like men have been a lot able to do that kind of thing you know, and then they're called geniuses or they're called, you know, like innovators and stuff. And women are just like, like they're doing a, I think I just saw a shirt the other day that was just like, it's a craft. It's called a craft until a man (laughs) says it's an art or something like that. And it's like this thing where it was like, women were like able to just like experiment and be artists the way that 
alongside their male peers the way that like men have been able to do. Um, but then, you know, fast forward to 20, whatever year it is now, 2023, or whenever I started writing at 2020, you know, some of these women have been forgotten for being these innovators. And so like, I want to make sure that, you know, their, their work is documented. Right. And you have, and so I will point out too, that like you have sort of your narratives of each of the bands, but then there's interviews throughout too. So some of the bands there's interviews. And I think, um, I think it was in the San Francisco, in the Bay area, one of the, one of the people you spoke with was part of um, putting together sort of a punk history archives or something like that. Right. Yeah. But like this is the other thing that I think is really great with you collecting this and having this is like this, this stuff is getting lost. Right. Like you talk, like many of these people have sadly passed away. Um, you even have, you know, sort of mentioned some that have passed away while you were writing this. Right. So keeping like having these archives and having this material for people to look to and not forget is so important. Yeah. And you know, it is important because the women of this period are aging too. So I feel like this is the, this is the right time to talk to a lot of them. Well, you know, a lot of them still have memories of these times and like are a lot, I mean, a lot of them are just like still very active people. Um, but like, you don't want it to be like too late. Cause if this was like 20 years later, that might not be the case. Um, and I think it's really interesting. Like there, <laughs> there's another thing I'm not going to say exactly what it was. Cause I can't remember, but there's like a scene, there's like a scene in, I think I'm going to say like Denmark or something like that. But there were like women that were joking around about how the only oral history that was, was written on their country, like, had 51 men that were interviewed in one woman. So they want, like there was a group of women who were like, we're going to do an oral history where we have 50 women that were in the scene and only one man interviewed. And that's the thing is like, like there are so many times when these like oral histories happen or there's, um, yeah. Or like even just like archives of punk and just like the stuff that the women are doing, just like get ignored or forgotten. And, you know, I've read about this and I think that this, you know, I've I, I read like academic articles about this before. And this isn't just a thing that happens at punk. Like this is a thing that happens in like a lot of art forms um, where maybe and it's like hypothesized that maybe it's because women aren't doing the record keeping as much as men are. Or like there's all these other reasons why women just sort of like disappear from like whatever history it is of like etching or like whatever thing, um, you know, it is. And like, and maybe that's why, you know, that's why Christina was like, we need more women writing the history of music. And it's not to only center women. You know, it's like, it's not like my point is to exclude men. It's just to be like, hey, look, we need to preserve the stories of these women. Right. And it's in, like, and I love like, and well, and someone who looks at, I look at Riot Girl, right? Like, and I look at zines and they were important during that time, but right. So we have, often it becomes, well, there's punk and then there's this Riot Girl thing. That's where the women are. Right. And it's like, well, no, there was women, there were women well before that. There are women well after that. Right. Like they're part of a continuum or it's like, but that really isn't punk, right? It's really the men who are the punks. And then the women are on, like, they were doing something, but it, we wouldn't really call it punk. We'll call it something else. And, you know, that kind of thing. So right, these need to be centered and it needs to say, like, this is all part of this same, what we talk about, right? Hardcore is yeah. not the only thing. 
Yeah, for sure. And you know, that's, that's another reason why I felt like this book was so necessary is because even just like growing up and playing bands in bands in like the early 2000s, like the aughts and stuff, like people would always just be like, you guys are riot girl. And we'd be like, we're not riot girl because like, we're not part of that. Like riot girls specifically like a political movement. And, you know, like I love a lot of riot girl bands and like, it was a compliment for people to say that people still say that to me. And it's just because I'm a woman playing, I guess, you know, like it's a really interesting thing. And it's like, also like, you know, some of the bands that I was inspired by or like my band was inspired by were like the wipers and like, you know, like the buzzcocks and bands like that. And so when people were automatically always like, Oh, you guys are like bikini kill or like, I mean, we get like the Donna's, um, I, I, I think I mentioned this in the book, but I really loved that someone called us the evil go-go's one time, but it was like, we had to be the go-go's, you know what I mean? Like we couldn't be the kinks. Um, <laughs> so like, it, it's just, it's just really interesting that people sort of, yeah, they only remember Riot Girl, but Riot Girl, you have to, you know, re- like we all remember it's, it's very well documented and it was like mm-hmm. purposefully documented and it was, it was very cohesive and organized, which is wonderful, but you know, there were all these women playing before that, that weren't, they weren't organized in the same way because I, I've talked about this on, I talked about this on another podcast too. Like not all these women necessarily identified as feminists either, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of them, you know, it was between this uh, second and third wave. And a lot of them were like, I'm a woman and I'm gonna do whatever I want, but I don't want my identity as a woman to be like, you know, part of your definition of me, I'm just doing whatever I want. And so for some of these women, like the word feminist wasn't like a comfortable label that they gave themselves. Maybe they, and there's some women who at the time maybe wouldn't use the label, but now would because of whatever social, you know, right. Well, yeah. Like, yeah, those, I mean, those time periods and, you know, when, when you're um, a woman of color, like there's like some really, you know, difficult, there's some difficult histories or even queer women have difficult histories with feminine, with the term feminism. And yeah. we see that, especially during the, you know, that late seventies, early eighties, when you're talking about and looking at like, there is, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes like- it's challenging. For sure. Like, I mean, like there, there are bands that were like, I mean, there are, there are two specifically two bands in here that were um, like pretty much all um, like lesbians or like queer women. Um, Wilma from San Francisco. And then you have the Bloods from New York. And they were definitely discriminated against for that reason. And then you have other bands like Frightwig who were like, we got called, they weren't, they weren't queer, but they got called you know, dykes all the time as a derogatory, you know, term for men just because they were women hanging out with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like all this discrimination that, you know, takes place just for being a group of women hanging out together and just for being like not traditionally feminine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And like it needs to be recorded. It needs to be out there. Yeah. There's one other thing that I wanted to say, which is that because you mentioned like there were women playing in bands before this, too. And like, that's also important. It's like um, there there was a woman that I talked to. She was a, a member of Shy Pig. I don't maybe I shouldn't reveal this, but I'm going to. She she's like looking. She's been studying women doing garage, you know, doing garage rock. Um, she was in a garage rock band before Shy Pig. but She's been doing all sorts of research on, you know, women of the area. Uh, sorry. 
era before this that were in bands. Um, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was different. It was different, you know, at being in those garage rock bands because they were, I don't, I guess I don't know how the, how to phrase this, but it was just like a little bit more like, um, like, con- like controlled, like, maybe they weren't able to like express themselves artistically in the same way as like the women of this, this era were. Um, but there were just like hundreds of bands of women, you know, in the sixties too, that just got ignored, but pe- people just like, didn't want to see women with electric guitars, you know? Right. And you like, and I think you said this early on, like that idea that um, women aren't going to perform or that there's so many women who like, I like one of the reasons I love zines, if I can get a hold of them, you know, like older zines is to see like, I, maybe the band never played, but there's this narrative of like young women talking about like getting together and forming a band with their friends. And like, so yes, like they didn't need to like perform live or they didn't need to become like a touring band to say like, we were part of the scene, right? We created a space for ourselves. We performed music with one another and we were part of that. And that gets lost so much because yes, if they didn't make it, if they didn't record, if someone, you know, lost the tapes or whatever it might be. um, Yeah. We miss that. Yeah. And like, who was in the studio, you know, engineering this stuff, you, you know, you had, you know, there, there were, there were gatekeepers, you know, at every, at every turn, um, who decided that, you know, you know, it was, it was either like you had to have access to like, um, capital or access to typically men who were in the, the, you know, engineering the, the recordings, you know, there were few, there were very few women who were actually like in the recording studio. Um, there is a woman that I wrote about in here, uh, Ramona Jan, who uh, worked at Media Sound in New York, which I love her story too, because she was one of the only sh- women that worked at Media Sound. And she, um, you know, she experienced a lot of misogyny, not only with music stuff, but just like at, at the studio. And I think there was another kind of like mentor elder um, who was a woman that worked there. It was just kind of like took her under her wing and was just kind of like, okay, like this is what you have to deal with here. And, you know, you can get through it if you do this, this, and this. And she did. And she ended up recording Nasty Facts. And that's, I think that's like another like proud, like that's one of my favorite songs like ever recorded. I will say that about a lot of songs, but that is for sure one of my favorite songs ever recorded. <laughs> was she the one, did she like have to basically lie her way into that position like she made up was like I feel like yeah right but that's the thing too like you have to be like I mean I think there are stories in there about women who are trying to get into a club and people are like you're not in the band and it's like they had to have like there was somebody who had to have like their you know guitarist or whatever go like put them on the guest list and then they get up and sing right that kind of thing so yeah, yeah, just like it, it's those little things that I think are important to remember, too. It isn't just we can get up there and perform. It's like what all the things we had to do, all the things these women had to do to actually be able to even get on that stage. Yeah, for sure. It's like, yeah, there's like all these other obstacles where like, you know, I think a lot of the women mentioned like, yeah, guys like just, you know, there were a lot of guys who like had been playing instruments for a long time or they just had like, had more confidence because they were always told that like, or they had had a lot of um, examples of other men playing, or they were just always told that they could do this or whatever. And so it was just easier for them to, to actually like take up an instrument, get on stage, write songs. Whereas like these women were like kind of told a lot of the women were just told like, 
you can't do that. Like, or they were just never given access to being able to do it. Or yeah, like, especially the women who are drummers, like a lot of the women who are drummers said that like people would just be like, girls don't play drums. Like if you think that people are biased toward women who play guitar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not a drummer, but like, yeah, you know, women are just like, or, you know, women are always told like from like a young age, like, I remember even being told that in the nineties. Like I remember I wanted to play drums and band and it was just like, no, you don't, so, you don't do that. So I will tell you again, I two, I have two percussionists in my house, both in band, one's in high school and one's in middle school. And nice. I have a boy and a girl. Um, and, um, my boy plays in the, this place snare in marching band. And so he's in the battery and, there are no women in the battery The women are all playing the pit. So the women all play the bells and all of that. And my daughter is like, I am going to be center snare. I am going to be in that battery and I'm going to play like she's seven. She's seventh grade. She's like, when I'm in high school, that is what I'm going to do. Right. And her friends are like, we're all going to take that over. And so we'll go to competitions and she'll be like, why are there no women? Why are all the girls like stuck in like playing bells? Right. That's like playing, you know, so yes, my Yes, my seventh grader is like, I'm going to do it. I don't care. She's like, my brother's going to teach me how to hold traditional grip. And I, right. But that's the thing. Like even jazz band, she went in and she's like, I want to play the kit. Right. Like, so, but yeah, it's still happening. It's still that idea that like the role for like, yes, the snare drum is for the man um, and like the boys and the girls are going to play, they play piano so they can play all the, the bells and everything that, you know, is for piano players kind of thing yeah mm-hmm. for sure for sure yep. <laughs> it keeps going yeah, <laughs> that's, my, that's my rant about like girls <laughs> girl drum- yes i understand the girl drummer yes or a lot of um if we're gonna put a girl in the band then they're just gonna be the the token bass player in the band right yeah. like there's yeah. that kind of um- i feel like that was the mentality like <laughs> i like I had growing up. Cause you know, I, I grew up in like the nineties, early two thousands. And that was the thing it was like, and I, to this day, people will be like, you play bass, right? And it's like, why are you saying like, right? Like, why are you, why are you assuming that I play bass? And it's like this weird thing where it's like the girl in the band plays the bass. Mm-hmm. And I'm also like, well, I'm also in a band with multiple girls or like people, multiple, like different <laughs> gender um, And we all just play bass. It's just yeah, a band like, full of I bass guitarists. And then we have a, a guy drummer. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's like, that's very much a thing. That's very much a cliche. And it's, it's wild. <laughs> so I could, I mean, we could probably talk forever. Um, but, uh, because I could, uh, but I'll ask you sort of, so are there, so this just did just came out. Is it out now? Is it like where we at yeah. with it? it? It came out early January. Okay. So are you, do you have anything um, that you are working on with the book that you kind of want to sort of put out there, share what, like what's going on? Um, I'm, you know, I'm, talking to people and I'm going to do some, I'm going to do a Q a live Q and a in Chicago at G man tap on, uh, April 27th. Um, so I think that that's going to be kind of like one of the release. I feel like all of the events are like different releases. They'll be in different parts of Chicago or they'll be in different cities. So I'm just looking to do like events and to just connect with people. Um, I think one of the most fun things that I can think to do is to, play the music that the women were you know that these women were uh creating um 
you know, it's like you have this whole book, but like one of the fun things to do is just like have a playlist on and just like kind of, you know, rock out and enjoy the music. So I'm really just kind of hoping to connect with people in that way too. So, and my final question, are you, is there anything else you're working on right now? Are you working it or are you just like trying to get this out there and promote or what's, what else? Yeah. Um, well I'm, you know, my band is recording right now, so I've been putting that off for a while and right now I have a cool lineup. So I'm, I'm working on that. I have a lot of different ideas for books and I, my attention span is all over the place. So what, like, this was a very interesting project for me because once I focused on it, like I was able to just like really hyper-focus on it. And right now I'm kind of like working on all my little projects and I'm kind of feeling it out to see like where I need to put my focus. So I have a lot of weird little things going on and, uh, well, I'm just going to kind of let the universe guide me. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of what happened with this. It was like my friend tagged me in a Facebook post and I was like, hello, <laughs> you know, like, let's let's see where we can get, you know, I can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Like, it's been great talking with you again. Um, Jen Larson, who wrote Hit Girls, Women of Punk in the USA, um, 1975 to 1983. Jen, thanks for talking with me on New Books Network. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you.